I'm not a professional yet. You, it doesn't matter. You're doing an amazing job. Hey, give it up for them. We, uh, getting up in front of people in public and talking and trying to remember different points, all with like bright lights and a camera staring at you. It's a hard thing. So major props to anybody who's up here leading worship, uh, doing announcements. You guys do an incredible job. And, you know, sometimes different things happen. We get off the click track or whatever. It's good because God is good, and we are here to worship him and to have a good time together. All right, you guys awake? I know it's only uh, almost 1030, but uh, sometimes I get a little snoozy around then. But good morning. So glad that you are here with us. Thank you for choosing to spend just a little bit of your weekend with us. I know for many people, this Sunday is an exciting one. Uh, Natasha, you were making some Super Bowl references that I did not understand. So for those of you that actually know what's going on, that is great. Uh, If you want to talk about Super Bowl food, I'm your guy. Uh, we can talk, we can have a conversation later. But hey, listen, before we go any further, my prayer for you today is that today, as we kick off this new series, it will be both helpful and hopeful. We want church to be what we would call a life-giving experience, a time uh, together that would leave you feeling inspired, refreshed, full of life, and closer to God. Because we believe that church is not an obligation, it should be a celebration, Amen? So a celebration of everything that God has done, everything that God is continuing to do in our lives. So again, if you happen to be new around here, we haven't had a chance to meet. My name is Pastor Ben. Three years ago, can you believe it? Three years ago, my wife and I stepped out in faith to launch a new life-giving church for the people of Syracuse. Little did we know that God had not only called us to plant a church, He called us to plant a church in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. And through the highs and the lows and everything in between, we've seen God move in some mighty ways within our church. Us just being in this room is a testament to that. And I'm just glad that you've decided to join us on the journey, even if it's just for today. In case you happen to forget, maybe you've been thinking about the Super Bowl just a little too much, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. And if your significant other just shifted a little uncomfortably in the seat next to you, there's a good chance that they might be running out for a last-minute gift. Uh, But it is the perfect opportunity around Valentine's Day to launch a new series of talks called Modern Romance. It is no secret, it is no secret that relationships are complicated, relationships are complex, and relationships are most often the greatest source of chaos in our lives. So in this series, what we want to do is we want to explore what the Bible, what Scripture has to say about being single, about dating, about getting married, and more. What does romance in the modern day even look like? What does modern romance look like? Well, I believe that no matter what situation or season you are in, in your relationships, I truly do believe that God wants you to win in your relationships. God wants you to win in relationships. I believe that God desires for us to have healthy, thriving, loving relationships with those around us. God is a God who himself exists in relationship as the Trinity. 
And he created us to be in relationship. A God who desires a relationship with us. So we believe that if relationships are important to God, they need to be important to us. Because our relationships contain some of the most uh, important and easy ways to reflect the love of Jesus. However, relationships are also the best place for us to reflect hurt and brokenness that we have experienced in our lives. Think about it for a second. Who taught you what dating or a healthy marriage looks like? Who taught you? Who gave you the rundown? How did you develop your understanding and your ideal for what a perfect relationship is? Whether we know it or not, our understanding of relationships has been being formed since the day that we were born. We've watched our parents, we've watched our siblings and our loved ones, we've watched how they've treated and interacted with one another. We've seen movies and TV, we've seen rom-coms and sitcoms, we've seen Cory and Topanga and Boy Meets World, and that's basically all I ever knew. Every experience, whether positive or negative, has left a mark in our lives and has become a standard for our relationships. Think about it. Every experience that we've had, every relationship that we've had, we've either decided, I want that, I want more of that, or I want nothing to do with a relationship that looks like that. What ends up happening is our relationships, whether we're dating, whether we're getting married, our relationships in the present are hindered by our hurt from the past. This happens to all of us. We carry with us this hodgepodge of information like notes scribbled on a napkin that we use to try and help us decipher, decipher our relationship issues. It can be a difficult task. What we want to do over the coming weeks in this series is we want to redeem relationships. We want to redeem. Redeem means purchase or buy back or regain possession of. Because for so long, we define our relationships from what we see in culture, in the media, what people tell us we should want, what our relationships should look like. And it's sad to say that the church is not known as a place with healthy relationships. Amen, right? <laughs> If anything, church has become the place to go to pretend that you don't have any issues in your relationship. It's the place to go to pretend that your marriage is fine, that your relationship with your kids is a-okay. Just put on a happy face and sing along. In order to redeem relationships, to buy them back, to now set an example and a standard for what healthy relationships should look like, we need to first recognize that none of us in this room have perfect relationships. Things of worth take work, and we want to be willing to, to take that step of faith and put in the work. Most importantly, as we go forward in this series, our standard for relationships must come from Scripture. So if you walked in this morning thinking this message was just going to be kind of a self-help message, I don't want to disappoint you. 
I hope it helps your relationships. I hope it helps yourself. But everything that we learn will come from Scripture. If God designed us to live in community and relationships with others, we should probably follow the blueprint that he left behind. There's one thing I want you to understand as we begin our time together is that the more biblical principles that we know and understand, the less we have to pray about it. Let's unpack that for a second. The more biblical principles that we know, the less that we have to pray about our relationship issues. For me, for many, many years, I was single for like all of my 20s. Super frustrating. As a guy who wanted to be in a relationship, who wanted to find the one, my soulmate, I wanted to get married. At this point, all of my friends had gotten married. Even one of my friends had gotten married and divorced by the time that I could get married. I would spend these nights going like, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to talk to? God, please bring me the one. And I would pray, and I would pray, and I would pray, and I would ask him all of these different things instead of simply reading the Bible and seeing what he said. So the more that we dig into scripture and we understand biblical principles of what, of what God says about relationships, the less we have to pray about it. Because we can go, God, I know that you said this in your word, and by faith I hold it to be true. I will live my life according to this standard, and I will not be shaken. So let me pray as we begin our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability that we have to gather together and to seek you. Jesus, we know that you care about relationships. So Jesus, right now, we submit our relationships to you. Whatever we walked in here with this this morning, we bring you the hurt. We bring you the pain, Jesus. We bring you the broken pieces Jesus, we bring you the shattered dreams and the unmet expectations and the struggles with jealousy and envy and anger. God, we bring you the confusion, the frustration, and the mistake after mistake that we continue to make. Holy Spirit, we know that our relationships cannot change if we do not change first. So God, we ask that you would do what only you could do. We ask that you would soften our hearts this morning. We ask that you would help us to reflect you in every relationship that we have. Learning to live, learning to lead with love and grace and forgiveness and restoration. God, we ask that our lives would lead others to you. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen. The title of today's message is Redeeming Attraction. Redeeming attraction. Attraction, especially romantic attraction, is not something typically discussed in our church services or settings, but I believe that it is an important first step in beginning a relationship series. And a quick disclaimer to the parents in the room, if you do have children, I am going to keep this message PG, so don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. We can talk about attraction without going off the rails, hopefully. Uh, Yeah, we'll see. Somebody throw something at me if I get out of line. If you will, I want to take just a quick moment to tell you a little bit about my own personal upbringing and how it affected my view of attraction and relationships. I'm like, is my mom in here? 
about to talk about her a little bit. That's okay. I was raised, uh, like many, in a conservative Christian household. Have you ever seen the movie Bubble Boy? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Bubble Boy. He, he was raised living in a bubble. He couldn't really go out in the outside world without getting sick. He was raised in a bubble. I was Christian Bubble Boy. We went to church on Sunday morning, on Sunday night, on Wednesday night. Basically, any time the church doors were open, we were there. My brother and I, for a long time, were not even allowed to watch cartoons. I remember sneaking down on a Saturday morning and turning on the TV before my parents were up so I could watch Ninja Turtles. And being guilt-stricken, being in tears because I had made the mistake, the grievous sin of watching cartoons. My parents did everything they could. It's funny to laugh at now, but at the time, my parents did everything that they could to give my brother and I a wholesome and a sheltered upbringing. And while I love and I respect both of my parents, some of my most formative memories in childhood came from when their marriage and their relationship began to fall apart. So all of a sudden, I was caught in this tension during their separation, their divorce, ultimately my dad's remarriage, where all of a sudden, for me as a kid, I realized that maybe marriage doesn't mean forever. In high school, there was a book, you may, you may remember this, there was a book that was sweeping through Christian culture called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Anybody read that? Really? Wow, swept through a small portion of Christian culture, apparently. <laughs> a few of us know what it is. It's this book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. If you've never heard of it, the main concept of this book is this concept of courting. Courting versus dating. It's essentially dating with the sole intent of marriage. Like, don't date somebody until you want to marry them. I remember thinking, that's it? No dating? Just marriage? But I really had no idea what that even meant. You know, what would even come next? Come to find out years later, the author of I Kissed Dating Goodbye has actually renounced his book uh, and has kissed Christianity goodbye. So it's this really interesting story. But another core memory that I have that maybe some of you will understand is a movement called True Love Waits. Anybody? A couple more of you. I don't think that this needs too much explaining but this, True Love Waits, was a campaign which was part of what many of us call purity culture. And I remember standing on stage at church as a young teenager in front of all of my family and friends with a shiny new purity ring on my finger making a pledge that I would save myself for marriage. Somehow in the process, linking together my virginity with my dignity. Please hear me correctly. Uh, I'm not speaking poorly against abstinence or waiting for marriage. I believe those are very, very good things. However, if we're not careful in movements like this and in purity culture, we can easily send people the wrong message. And unfortunately, that's kind of the message that I got and grew up with. That somehow my ability to be loved or to be accepted or to be wanted by another person in a future relationship relied solely on whether or not I waited for marriage. Because what happens when you mess up? What happens when you don't wait for marriage? Is it true love? Man, there's a whole, there's a whole other series and sermon 
in some of that. But with my upbringing, my background, with True Love Waits, I ended up kissing, dating, goodbye until I went to college. And this is not the time or the place to go into detail, but my first relationship was not the healthiest, and it almost instantaneously imploded upon itself, and all of a sudden, I was stuck right between everything that I knew and everything that I wanted to do. Looking back on everything that I had been taught growing up, I didn't have much relationship advice other than save yourself for marriage. That was basically it. I didn't know how to be single well, how to be a single guy in college. I didn't know how to date well. I didn't know how to date well. I certainly didn't know how to get married well. It, it was like I was wearing glasses with the wrong prescription. For those of you that wear corrective eyewear in the room, you often know that if you get the wrong prescription, or even if you get a new prescription that your eyes are not yet used to, it kind of feels like the room is spinning a little bit and your head hurts and your, your eyes are off. It's kind of like I was wearing one lens of what I thought that God wanted from me in my relationship. And then on the other side, I had a lens of like what I really wanted, what I desired. My relationships in turn became out of focus and unclear. And I just had no idea how to make it better. And although it's not true, I felt like the only emotion that I was allowed to experience as a young man growing up, wanting to be married, the only thing I felt that I was allowed to feel was a pre-calculated and restrained attraction. But as a freshman in college, I, would, I certainly wanted to experience much more than that. Maybe you are in the middle of this tension right now, that you want to do what is best, what God has for you, the plans and the purposes that he has in store for you, but God, sometimes it just takes so long. God, you know that I'm impatient. You know that this is something that I have wanted for so long. But God, why do I feel these things? Why do I feel this way? Am I allowed to feel this way? Are these feelings a sin? And I, I don't mean this to be crass, but sometimes as Christians, it feels like we can either be sexual or sanctified. That we can either be controlled by the Holy Spirit or controlled by hormones. Right? Some of you are a little afraid to say amen on some of these things. Amen, right? Right? You too, right? If we are to redeem attraction and develop a healthy understanding of it from a biblical perspective, we need to see what God says in Scripture about attraction, about that, that innate human desire. So we're going to be diving into, some of you probably guessed it, a, a passage of Scripture in a book called Song of Songs also called Song of Solomon. We're going to be reading uh, in chapter 1 in verse 2. Just a couple quick verses. If you don't have it with you, it's going to be on the screen behind me. Verse 2 says this, and he comes out swinging. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. 
We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. Found between books of prophecy and lament and stories of kings and kingdoms is found this little book of honestly somewhat erotic poetry. For many, the inclusion of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon in the canon of Scripture has been a source and cause of confusion. Like, okay, I understand why, like, the book of Psalms or, like, Genesis or some of Paul's letters, I get why those are in Scripture. But why? Why this? This causes people to either simply avoid the book or overanalyze the book. I mean, how can you blame people? How can you blame people when they stumble upon this book? What are they supposed to do with verses like this? You know, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Your love is more delightful than wine. What is this? Like 50 shades of Solomon? Like, it's it's, it's confusing, right? Some of us got uncomfortable real quick, and then others are like, kisses and wine? Let's go. Relationship goals. This is one of the reasons why we have to be really careful on how we interpret and how we read Scripture. Because some Scripture is really straightforward. In the Gospels, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. All right, we have a hard time getting that sometimes, but that seems pretty straightforward. Then we get to this, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Before or after church? Like, what? As a teenager, I remember discovering Song of Songs and just like cracking up with my friends, right? You find it, it's almost like a little secret. It's kind of like when you find a, a bad word in the dictionary and you're showing your friends and you're just like laughing in the back of the classroom. We used to tell each other, like we would use quotes from it to like compliment each other. Like, bro, your hair, your hair looks like a goat flocking down the side of Mount Gilead. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Song of Songs is typically attributed to a man named King Solomon, either written by him or for him or about him. And this book, if you choose to read it, sometimes is composed of vivid imagery. Vivid imagery and language describing the love story between a man and a woman, their attraction, their marriage, their relationship, and honestly, and sometimes uncomfortably so, their physical relationship. As I mentioned before, many are quick to overanalyze this text and just quickly jump to the conclusion that the text is strictly allegorical. Strictly allegorical and representing God's love and his relationship with his chosen people, whether it be Israel or now the church. And while there's certainly room for that interpretation, and I don't want to sway you from that interpretation, I don't want us to miss the most obvious interpretation of all. That it's simply a love poem. That it is what it is. It's a poem that contains real emotion, real attraction, and real intimacy between a husband and a wife. I think that this is important for us to recognize because it shows us that intimacy, that attraction, is this real and this raw emotion that is God-given and God-designed. Amen? If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. Attraction is not a distraction. Attraction is not a distraction. It is not a distraction from the relationship that God has planned for you. 
It's not a distraction from the relationship that you are in. In fact, attraction plays a very important role in it. God created beauty and attraction and desire, and he created us to experience those things within the context and the covenant of marriage. However, this is my, uh, my fine print quick caveat. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. Again, this is no secret to anybody, but many times our attraction, that God-given desire, it begins to turn into lust. In many of my, uh, my sermons when we were doing like online church, for some reason there was like four messages in a row where all I would do was share stories about how I used to light things on fire. And anybody remember some of those messages? Like, Pastor Ben, what, what kind of childhood did you have? I would just like light piles of leaves on fire outside and stuff like that. But what I learned about fire, and many of you know this, is that fire can be very, very useful. We use fire for light and for heat and for warmth and for cooking. But fire, in order to be used constructively, has to be in the right context and the right container. But when out of control, when unchecked, when in the improper context, fire is almost nothing but destructive. The same thing can be said about attraction, those feelings. Because if they are not channeled or controlled correctly, it gets out of control real quick. We're not going to have a a raising of hands for those of us that have experienced that. It can change your life real quick. So attraction is not a distraction. We need to understand that. Verse 2 says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. This beginning verse is spoken from the perspective of a young Shulamite woman written to King Solomon as they're walking in the gardens. And again, to keep this PG, she's essentially saying, Solomon, I don't want just a peck on the cheek. I want you to come here and really kiss me. Man, Solomon, you get me messed up. You get me drunk like wine. Your love is intoxicating to me. It's this bold, it's this, it's this forward imagery of this woman initiating attraction and intimacy. Verse 3 says this, your name is, is, is like perfume that is poured out. It's important to understand in this context that this term name is not simply meaning what he is called or what name is written on his birth certificate. Name means true character or reputation, their innermost person, the totality of their being. So here this young woman is writing to her beloved, Solomon, I love everything about you. From the inside to the outside, everything that I am loves everything that you are. Sounds like a Nicholas Sparks line. It's funny to some of you. That's okay. Again, if you're taking notes as we kind of blaze through this, I'm recognizing what time it is. I want you to write this down. X-ray versus X-rated. X-ray versus X-rated. True attraction in our relationships considers the totality of the person, their entire name. 
Physical traction is important, but it cannot stand alone. Many times we think of attraction only in that X-rated sense, that physical sense. When was the last time you heard a guy ask another guy, are you, are you like a sense of humor kind of guy or like a gentleness of spirit kind of guy? <laughs> no. True, healthy, biblical attraction needs to be a balance of both. Right? Because we can't forget that attraction is also not a distraction, but we don't want it to be shifted too far on one side or the other. If you haven't picked it up, I'm, I'm trying to tell you that it is okay to find someone attractive, both inside and out. That's something that I felt ashamed of growing up. I was like, God, I, I, bring me a woman who uh, is, just, is a missionary to the utmost parts of the earth. That's my only thing that I'm into. No, it's okay to have preferences. God has placed that in our hearts. But what we want to have in our relationships is this x-ray vision. In our relationships and our attraction where we see not only their outside, but we get to know their inside, their name, the totality of their person, their reputation, their character, who they really are, not just who they tell you they are. A lot of times when we begin a relationship, people put forward their best. This is who I am. Very quickly you find out that that is not the case. So develop X-ray vision, not X-rated vision. Verse 4. It says, we rejoice and delight in you. This is a change of speaker in who's speaking. It's no longer the young woman. It's her friend's. It's this collection of friends that are speaking and encouraging her, saying, we love this. You guys are the perfect fit for one another. We're so excited for you. We are rejoicing. We support you. When it comes to attraction, one of the most important things that we can do is safeguard ourselves by having trusted people in our lives we can turn to that help us validate our attraction and our decisions. I've had past relationships where I have had multiple friends and family pull me aside and gently express that they did not think that it was such a good idea. What was my reaction? You don't know what you're talking about. Come to find out, they absolutely did. Because they could see things that I could not. I was so blinded by my attraction that I was blinded to the things that they were seeing. So I want you to write this down as our, as our third point. Check yourself, parentheses, before you wreck yourself, end parentheses. In our attraction, our desire to be in relationships, this is especially for those of you that maybe are single, you're in the dating pool, you're looking to find a serious relationship or hopefully get married, we are so quick to jump into almost every relationship that presents itself that we don't take long enough to check ourselves, to run that relationship by other people who we value and trust their opinion. And all of a sudden we find ourselves getting so wrapped up in a serious relationship that by the time we realize that it is not the right one, it's, it's almost too late to get out without causing hurt and harm and discomfort, awkward conversations, 
So like this young Shulamite woman speaking to King Solomon as she's expressing her attraction, her friends are celebrating and rejoicing that they see the value in this attraction and in this relationship. So find people in your life so you can check yourself before you wreck yourself. I'm not really sure what I was thinking when I put some of these together. Whether you are single Whether you are widowed, whether you are married, whether you are divorced, whether you are looking for relationships, whether you are happily in a relationship, or you are healing from a past relationship. This morning, if you walk away with anything, you need to know that that attraction, that desire, that longing for intimacy and to be known by another person is God-given and God-designed. Attraction is not a distraction from God's plan for relationships in your life. But be wise. Be wise. Be careful. Don't confuse your attraction with lust. Remember that attraction, like fire, can be both powerful and positive, but also destructive when not cared for properly. Whatever your relationship status looks like, ask yourself, why? Am I attracted to this person? Is my attraction X-ray or X-rated? Is it strictly physical? Is it strictly emotional or, or mental or spiritual? Or is it a balanced combination of both? Am I attracted to them both inside and outside? Remember to surround yourself with trusted voices who are not afraid to be painfully honest with you. Bro, she is not the one. She is not the one. He is not a good fit. He might be six foot five, drives a big truck. I don't know. I don't know what women are looking for in guys. But he is not the one. (laughs) Yeah, Brett, you're like, truck? Truck. Got a truck. Got a truck. Don't got the six foot five, but I got the truck. (laughs) Putting you on blast. Sorry, bro. As a church... Here at Thrive City, as we close our time together, we want to be a church that reclaims relationships. I don't want to see our church become a place where we see marriages marriages dissolve, where friendships disappear, where people are hurt and broken and they carry that hurt and that brokenness into other relationships that just amplify into more hurt and brokenness. Let us be a church that strives to help set an example of what healthy relationships look like. That instead of looking to culture or to movies, people would look to to this church, to the people in this room and go, what do you have that I need? May we be a church that is willing to have hard conversations so that kids like me don't go off to college just going, I'm gonna try whatever, whatever fits, whatever comes my way. May we be a church that holds scripture as our standard as we navigate each and every relationship and interaction. Again, I want you to know that God wants you to win in your relationships. So if even right now you're in the midst of just a hard time, maybe your marriage is stressed, your significant other, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, You're just not sure how much longer things are gonna last. Maybe your relationship with your kids is really pressed right now. God sees that. 
And God's gonna do a work in that. He wants you to win at relationships. Let me pray for us as we close. Jesus, I thank you for each and every person that you have brought here this morning. God, I thank you for the, the relationships that they have. God, each of our lives looks different and unique, but we know that you have lovingly put together those relationships in our lives in order for us to be a reflection of everything that you are. Most importantly, Jesus, we thank you for the ability that we have to have a relationship with you to have a relationship with you, to know you, to be your son and your daughter. We thank you for the privilege that we have of joining your family. God, we worship you for that. Perhaps this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, perhaps you have never experienced the greatest relationship of all, a life-saving, transformative relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never experienced that, that is something that you long for, that you realize, that you recognize before any of my other relationships are gonna change, I need to get this relationship right. If you wanna take that next step towards a thriving life with Jesus, you want to have a relationship with Jesus. Would you pray with me? Right now, you can pray to yourself. You don't have to say these words out loud. Just pray along with me. Jesus, I thank you. God, I thank you that even though I can't do this on my own, that you are good, you are loving. Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross in my place. That you paid the penalty for my sin, defeating sin, defeating death, being raised again on the third day, now seated at the right hand of God, allowing me now to have a relationship with you. God, I give you everything I have. Jesus, make me new. Make me into a new person. Transform my relationships. God, I give you my heart. In Jesus' name. Your head's bowed and your, your, your eyes closed. Real quick, if you prayed that prayer, would you let me know on the count of three just by raising your hand? One, I believe that God loves you so much. Two, I believe that you will never be the same. And three, would you raise your hand if you prayed that prayer all across the room? Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us that you love us so much. We thank you for the things that you've already done that you're continuing to do in the life of our church. God, we thank you for the relationships that we have. We just ask you to continue to work in them through the rest of this series. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.